This can be played at high volume. Live and local. This is the game. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. It's Saturday, and you know what that means. Finally time for the world-famous CD to step to the mic for two straight hours of no-holds-barred sports talk. It's better than Desperate Housewives. Are you ready? You better get ready. Yeah! Because Under the Dome with CD starts right now. Let's do it. I'm ready. Let's do it. Welcome back. Hour two of two of Under the Dome with CD right here on the game. 1037 Live Get and 1041 Lake Charles on a stupendous. Louisiana Saturday morning. Hopefully you are enjoying yourself. Appreciate you listening in on the litany of ways that you can. Be it through 1037 Lafayette or if you're making your way over towards Lake Charles, 1041 is the place to be and where you need to kind of dial it in. And also you can check us out on the app, 1037thegame.com, 1041thegame.com, and your Amazon smart speakers. Just tell it to play. The game Southwest Louisiana, and we gonna get you some great sports talk over the next hour. Also, get you an idea of what's going on around the world of college football, involving the Sun Belt and the SEC. In this hour, is you've been listening to the show over the last month or so. We've had to make some changes with it, but I'm wanting to kind of get into what's going on with the SEC and the Sun Belt. Get you an idea of what's going on outside of. Those proverbial six inches that we got going on, we're all focused on LSU and UL. What's the conversation like with those other teams? How are they looking? What are they doing? What the dog doing? We're going to get to that and more in this hour. Nick Delator going to be joining us. We were trying to get him on last week. Things didn't necessarily work out the way we wanted it to, but tis what it is right now. But we got him on in the next 10 minutes or so. Then we got... Kef Chardello of the Austin American Statesman talks some Texas State football, maybe a little baseball as well, because they just came off one hell of a season getting it done and making it over into the NCAA baseball tournament. That was a great thing in and of itself. But enough about the future talk. Let's get into the here and now and talk some SEC media days. We're talking about the conference that just means more. And I've got five things I'm looking forward to. And again, we do it every week to start off the 10 o'clock hour here during the summertime. Going to try and make that more of a thing is the countdown and the power rankings, if you will. With SEC Media Days coming up in Atlanta, I've got some thoughts and five things I'm looking forward to from the four-day gauntlet. And trust me, our guy Matt Miguez is going to learn what I'm talking about when I say a gauntlet. Four days, and trust me, it does not end. The grind never sleeps, really, and this one's going to be great. And I'll start with number five, and it's more just interesting to hear what Billy Napier is going to say. Of course, we got to start off with big-time Billy standing at number five. And I think it's just largely because it's Billy Napier, number one, number two, what the conversation is going to be about. Because, again, he's taken over a position from Dan Mullen, 
who took over from Cameron McElwain. There you go, McElwain. And I mean, that would do as a jabroni. But how he's kind of changing the culture over there, because for the last couple coaches, it's been a little bit of a mess. And can he kind of get Florida back into a conversation and a consistent conversation of that of getting into the SEC championship game? Because that's been the biggest issue with Florida over the last few years. They'll have one year where they are absolutely unbeatable, but then things start to fall off and the conversation starts to change about making it to the SEC championship game in Atlanta to, oh, hey, can they get eight wins? And that's not the standard of excellence that Florida wants. Even me, as a person who's not necessarily the biggest fan of Florida, I am interested to see how much that conversation revolves around that and also how what the quarterback battle looks like over in Gainesville because that's going to be interesting. See how that goes. Number four, I'm going to go double down on it on Greg Sankey, but I think this is going to be an overarching storyline for a lot of head coaches is the potential of an SEC playoff. We heard it a lot during the spring meetings about a potential where you just have the SEC go out and have their own college football playoff and stage their own. And it's something they talked about during the spring meetings, and it's that could be fun to see, to say the very least, especially when you expand to 16 teams. Having Oklahoma and Texas, because now you'd have potentially going back to what we saw over the last few years, Alabama, LSU, Georgia, Oklahoma. That's four teams that have consistently been in or just been in national championship and college football playoff games over the last three or four seasons. That's pretty good. That's a pretty strong potential playoff. Now, how it works, I don't know. Because we don't know what's going to happen after 2025. Now, whenever the true expansion begins over the SEC, that's also a different conversation. Because the Big 12 saying, hey, they could probably just bounce out after this year. We're hearing some of that during Big 12 media days where they could split in 2023. But obviously, if they did, they'd have to fork over some big old bucks of cash money, to say the very least. But that's kind of where it's at right now. Where does that SEC playoff stand? And more importantly, where uh, could it be a situation? And what do the coaches think about it? That's something that I'm interested in hearing from more Greg Sankey than anything. And speaking of the commissioner, I got to wonder what his thoughts are on the USC and UCLA jumping ship over to the Big Ten and expansion and potentially what we've talked about over the last couple weeks is the potential where you see a Fox conference, CBS conference, something like that, and a four-letter network conference. Let's, let's call it like it is. What happens there? Do we see the world of college football going in that direction? When is the end point of expansion? Is Clemson thinking about making the jump to make that in-state rivalry with South Carolina mean a little bit more? Could Georgia Tech be joining into the mix? Who else could be jumping over from the ACC 
hell, even the Pac-12, the Big 12, whoever, who's next to jump over? Because it feels like expansion isn't as much becoming a thing of trying to make your conference the best, but trying to make your standing as a university, as an athletic program, look good. That's kind of just my two cents on that. But I'm interested to hear Greg saying you continue to talk about expansion, not just within the SEC with the addition of Oklahoma and Texas, which, again, all this started about a year ago. Last SEC media days, I believe this was on like a Wednesday, when the news started to get leaked about Oklahoma and Texas joining the Big 12. Going from the Big 12 to the SEC, doing an old WWF to WCW and defecting over to the other company and defecting over to the other conference that you definitely have somewhat of a relationship with. Mind you, it seems very strange. I mean, you have the SEC Big 12 Challenge, but that's all relative. Interesting to see how that kind of goes once Texas and Oklahoma, who are definitely some good basketball programs, kind of how that shakes out. Number two, and I think this is just a generalization. What the hell is Jimbo Fisher going to say? And anybody here in Louisiana, we all like Nick Saban, we hate Jimbo Fisher for one reason or another. But damn it, he's the guy that will say something that's going to get us talking. More importantly, he's going to say something that will probably jump the week. Jim Rome talks about it all the time, jumping the segment, jumping the day. This could be jumping the week type stuff if it's as interesting as we may think. So I'm intrigued by Jimbo Fisher because he could say something and start off another kind of explosion. Because that's how Jimbo Fisher is. Jimbo Fisher is the king of bleep talk, but doing it in a certain way to where he can get the reaction. He, he knows how to get a rise out of anybody. And I think that if anybody, he'd love to kind of get a rise out of. It's one Nick Saban. And we know that whole thing. And I think that's the reason why they are on the same day. Because I was looking at the SEC Media Days lineup again. And then we got Jack Besh in the mix. That's going to be fun to hear some of these guys talk about their guy. But yeah, like your first day, you've got Brian Kelly, Lane Kiffin, and Mizzou, which is what it is. But yeah, you've got plenty of distance, damn near social distancing between Alabama and A&M. Nick Saban is on Tuesday. I guarantee you if it was Hoover, he'd be on Wednesday. He'd be the main event. I mean, Alabama Nick Saban, the day two, the headliner, absolutely cannot wait to hear all what's said from from the dictator. But that's always just very, very blasé. Jimbo's always interesting. And hell, I actually got to ask Jimbo a question at 2019 SEC Media Days, more about mental health and stuff like that. Big story that I wrote on 1037thegame.com and also now 1041thegame.com. This is before... We made the jump over to Lake Chuck. But now we're going to end it with number one. And it's absolutely the one I think most people are looking forward to. Now, if we get a straight answer out of it, I don't know. But it's still going to be a question that I would ask outright, and I'd be asking a lot of the players too. It's not just Brian Kelly. It's not just 
Jack Besh. It's how B.J. Ojolari, Mike Jones Jr., who? Mike Jones. Who? Mike Jones Jr. How those guys think of one Miles Brennan, who had entered the transfer portal, came back, Jaden Daniels. There's some interesting stories that are going to be coming out of this, and it's going to help satiate us until fall camp. That's where I'm at because last few years, you've seen it always be a case of your quarterback is going to be a guy that gets there, that's going to make an appearance at SEC media days. You look at a lot of the others, the only ones that really don't are Auburn, which makes sense because they don't know who their quarterback is going to be either. We talked about it a few weeks ago on this show. You've got Kentucky, which, okay, I can get that. Definitely don't have a whole lot. No, actually, you do have Kentucky. Sorry, Will Levis or Levi's. I have no idea. Ole Miss, okay, I can get that. Mississippi State, you got Mizzou, South Carolina. You've got Texas A&M and not Vandy. They have their quarterback, but you don't like the guys that don't have a quarterback going. It's because they don't know who it's going to be when they open up the season. And LSU's got to have an idea of who their quarterback is going to be because you don't want to start off the Brian Kelly era with a loss to a Florida State team that hasn't done a whole hell of a lot in the last decade, let alone the last five, six years. That's not the way you want to start off the season. You got your ass handed to you last year by a UCLA team that you should have beaten, and that wound up probably costing one Ed Ogeron his job when it was all said and done. And also, I'll throw out an honorable mention. I'll just say Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin because you'll never know exactly what he says. In fact, I saw a TikTok yesterday. No, I lied. This was Thursday. It was a TikTok a couple days ago of this person who covers a lot of sports and does it through TikTok and whatnot, and it was her birthday. And somebody did a cameo for her with Mike Leach, and literally he went on for about two minutes about nothing, and it was amazing. And if we get a Mike Leach-esque moment at the podium during his time with the media on the SEC Network, I want a bag of popcorn just to watch that whole thing go down. Mind you, I wish I was there, but Miguez and our guy RP3 going to be out there at SEC Media Days. They're going to have fun with it. I can't wait. Before we take a quick timeout, let me tell you, I'll talk about those two. They're out in Atlanta next week. Starting Monday, July 18th, RP3 and Company and Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh broadcasting live and in living color from the College Football Hall of Fame for the games live from SEC Media Day's coverage presented by Borland Law Furniture. Not only will RP3 and Matt be broadcasting live, they'll also be broadcasting and providing live updates every single day on Footnotes and the Jordy Holtberg Show. So kick off the 2022 season in Atlanta with the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Going to take a quick timeout. Going to have on our guy Nick Delator joining the program next right here on the game. Your home for the Houston Astros and also your LSU Tigers. After all your problems during the week, it's finally the weekend. Woo! Yeah, baby! That's what I've been waiting for. That's what it's all about. That means you're getting more Under the Dome with CD right now. On the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 104.1 Lake Charles. And we've got your chance to win a brand new Apple Watch. All you got to do is send a simple text message. That's right. All you got to do is send us a text message and you can join our brand new text club just like that. And that's by texting GAME, G-A-M-E, to 337-283-8100. That's 337-283-8100. Just that simple. And once you join, you'll be eligible to win a brand new Apple Watch. Plus, you'll have a chance to score other great prizes like Astros tickets, maybe some tickets to some great concerts that are coming up at the Cajun Dome. Who knows? Just make sure you enter in today. And also, you can find out more and also join the text club through there at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. We talked about SEC Media Days, and it's coming up starting this Monday, but it won't be till later in the week on Wednesday when Florida takes the podium, and one guy that we know all too well here in the Acadiana area, Billy Napier, makes his remarks towards the media and kind of gets us hyped up for the football season ahead. And to talk about those Florida Gators and a little bit more, that's got to be Nick Delator, part of the On3 Network. Nick, how you doing, man? Doing well, doing well. How are you guys? I am doing fantastic. First things first, what's it been like, the transition from Dan Mullen to Billy Napier? Has it been as night and day as maybe I would think it'd be? Because always it felt like Dan Mullen had his moments where he was a mixture of rah-rah, but also would be serious from time to time. But now it's going from that to being more of a Bill Belichick. Obviously, Napier is more of a saving disciple. What's it been like seeing how the culture has changed since he joined up at the University of Florida? Yeah, Dan uh, Dan was almost kind of like a Steve Spurrier. He had a, you know, a dry sense of humor, liked to crack jokes. Um, we I think we've learned here in the media pretty quickly that uh, Billy Napier doesn't have much time for that. Um, kind of no nonsense in the way he handles the you know press and and media availability things like that. Um, the first thing that really stuck out to me though was um, the investment I guess that the University of Florida has put into his program. And, and you look at just how many people he signed or uh, brought on it in staff, whether it's support, recruiting, um, graduate assistants. It's the biggest staff. Um, I've ever seen at Florida. I've been covering them for 10 years now. And Florida's not a school that's just going uh, just to do it. So Billy Napier must have given them a, a good reason and a good game plan. So that, to me, is, is something that's interesting. And when you look at how college football has changed with the transfer portal uh, and NIL, and there's just so many different aspects going on, and, and they've kind of got like a department for each of those things to handle it. So it's not all uh, the coaches doing it. Um, he hit the ground running, and uh, uh, it depends on what day with Florida fans uh, and, and how the recruiting is going, whether they like him or not that day. Um, but I think people are just getting ready for, for football season, and, and Florida has a really big opener against Utah. And that kind of sounds like what we get here over in Baton Rouge, where it's a lot of, you know, depending very, what happens in that game. Yes, exactly. Definitely a lot of similarities there. And let's start off looking at the offensive side of the football. What's the quarterback battle going to look like for this team in 2022? And how do you see the offense kind of being under Billy Napier, where he's he's like the guy that can be more of a dual threat based off of what I've seen during his time. We I covered him a lot 
when he was in when he coached the Raging Cajuns, so I know him a lot, and he feels like he likes that dual threat. How do you see it going with the quarterback battle in the fall? Yeah, <clears throat> no battle. <laughs> One of the rare times that Florida that there's not going to be a quarterback battle. Um, it's Anthony Richardson's job. Um, he'll be at Media Day on Wednesday. Um, he is a really, really impressive uh, football player. I hate saying this, but like the, especially since he was at Florida, um, reminds me a lot of Cam Newton, 6'4", 240, um, was clocked last year against USF running 23 miles an hour on an 80-yard touchdown run, um, has a rocket arm, just hadn't, didn't stay healthy last year. Um, had to have knee surgery that kept him out of the bowl game. That's cleaned up. He's had hamstring injuries. So Florida doesn't really have depth after him. They have a transfer in Jack Miller, who will be his backup. Um, and then after that, redshirt freshman. So a lot is riding on Anthony Richardson um, and, and, and him staying healthy. And, and I think offensively, I, I kind of go back and I look at the, some of the, the, the Louisiana offenses, and I look last year, four different guys, including Leo Lewis, who had um, carries or more, and I think that's Florida's strength. They have a, a really veteran offensive line, um, getting Osiris Torrenton, um, and, and they have four returning starters next to him. So I think Florida will lean on that running game, uh, inside zone, uh, power, uh, and, and try to use that to set up um, some play action. But I, but I think it's it's not going to be a sexy offense. Like when Dan Mullen had uh, Kyle Trask throwing the ball 60 times a game. Um, but uh, if you're winning games, it doesn't matter. But I think Florida will really try to dominate the running attack. Talk right now with Nick Delator, part of the On Three Network, and you know you talk about the offense and you talk about how the run game with a lot of different guys. I think you could see more of the same because you've got a pair of Louisiana boys, Trevor Achan, the younger brother of Travis Achan, who I think Clemson fans know all too well what he was able to do, and I think the expectations are more of the same for him. Then you got a sophomore who played for the Cajuns last year, Montrell Johnson, but that running back room is pretty loaded. How do you think that's going to play out? in Billy Napier's offense, which you said isn't going to be sexy. It's not going to be the just basically just throw out all these darts. It would be a lot more of the nitty-gritty type football, I think, that we've grown to love from Alabama and LSU. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. So you have a, a redshirt sophomore coming back in Naquan Wright. Um, Lorenzo Lingard is a former five-star. He transferred in from Miami. Montreal Johnson um, in, in I thought he would have the leg up being uh, a freshman last year in in the offense, um, but the coaching staff has kind of reminded us, hey, he's a really young kid still. Um, and then Trevor Tatum is, is just getting onto campus. So there's four guys. I think right now you probably lean with Lorenzo Lingard and Montreal Johnson um, being one-two. But like I said, like last year, I think this is a pretty even split. I don't think you'll have one bell cow, really. Um, I think you'll, ha- you'll see a lot of rotation between Lingard, Wright, and Johnson, uh, and it'll be interesting to see how much Trevor Thane can kind of uh, get in there as a freshman. But you've got three really talented running backs. And then a uh, 6'4", 240-pound quarterback who can also run. It's definitely going to be a fun offense to see. But looking over the defensive side of the ball, how do you see see that playing out and give us an idea of what's going on with the defensive side? Because obviously you've got some big names over there, and one of them actually put over big one of the architects of DBU and Corey Raymond. Yeah, I, I can't. It, it's been weird seeing Corey Raymond in orange and blue. Uh, n- never thought I'd see the day. 
Um, it, it, it'll be interesting on defense. So I, I think Florida has a lot of front-end talent. Um, you've got Brenton Cox, who who is, a, again, a former five-star. Um, he's trying to become a, a first-round pick this year. He led the Gators in tackles for loss and sacks last year. Um, Gervon Dexter, um, he's just a monster inside. And, and then uh, Prince Leland is a guy from Texas who I think uh, – has a chance to break out this year. So the the front line on the defensive line is good. I just don't think Florida has a ton of depth behind them. There's there's some good players, just guys who we haven't seen a ton of yet. They don't have the experience. And the same thing goes at linebacker. Last year, when Ventrell Miller, who was a fifth-year senior last year, he's coming back as a sixth-year senior. When he went down, you could see a marked difference in the defense. He's not only uh, you know a tackling machine, a guy that will get 100 tackles, but he's also like the heart and soul um, and the leader on defense. And, and when he went down with the torn biceps last year before the Alabama game, uh, the, the defense never recovered. Um, and then a, a guy I'm really excited about, Jason Marshall, uh, Really, he's really happy to be playing with Corey Raymond. He's kind of a lockdown corner. Florida's got a nice history of, of having at least one of those guys every year. Uh, but then question marks on the other side, who, who plays on the other side of the field uh, from Jason Marshall. Uh, and then you have – a, a couple of veterans at safety. There's just not a ton of depth. Like Florida needs to stay healthy on the defensive side of the ball. Talk around with Nick Delator, part of the On Three Network, and I think obviously you know that I think there's a lot of intrigue. And you brought up earlier the recruiting trail when it comes to the Florida Gators. It's definitely been a little bit of an up and down, depending on what day of the week it is. Florida fans are either happy with them or they don't, or they aren't happy with them. What can you say about this first full recruiting class so far for Napier, and especially now because it's a little bit different with everything going on with the NIL, especially in the state of Florida? Yeah, I think Florida's doing well right now. Um, you know, you missed on a, a guy like Jaden Rashada. Um, there were a couple five-star guys who were from out of state um, that, that one went to Georgia, one didn't include Florida in his top four. That coupled with Rashada uh, all in the same week, and, and fans were, you know, the sky was falling. Um but since then, they've gotten a lot of talent at positions of need. Uh, a four-star uh, in Eugene Wilson, who's a slot receiver, something Florida really needs. Uh, a four-star in Trayon Webb, who's a legacy. Um, Florida had a really good run landing some big targets, and I think that's kind of uh, backed people off the ledge. But it, it's important. It's, it's, it's your bump class. Uh, you need to have your quarterback, which they were able to get. He's building a class. Right now we have him ranked 16th on on three. Um but the issue is, when you're in the SEC, you could have a top 10 class and be fifth in the conference. Um, so Florida's always going to be, and, and Billy Napier will find this out very quickly, compared to Georgia, Alabama, Texas A&M. What are you doing against Jimbo, Saban, and Kirby? Uh, so you're going to have to start winning some of those battles. And it's interesting. I used to be a big, hey, you need to give a coach four years to get their guys in. And now with the transfer portal at NIL, I think that might be changing as well. So they've used the transfer portal. Um, I think they'll continue to do that. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how this class finishes up because there's uh, 12 commits in the class right now. I, I think you know they're going to try to get close to that 25 number. What are the expectations for you in year one with Billy Napier at the helm? Is it you know the kind of standard 8-4, and 9-3 year? Could we see maybe more progression than I think a lot of people are expecting for this for this team that feels like Napier's having to rebuild a little bit after what's happened the last couple of years over in Gainesville. Yeah. I, 
I think eight and four is a. Me as a writer, I think uh, I don't know if fans would be happy with it. I think eight and four would be a very successful season for Florida. I mean, you, you start the season off with the Pac-12 champion who's bringing back most of their team. Um, you follow that up with a Kentucky team that's beaten you two out of the last four years, um, and then you go to Tennessee in week four. So uh, it, it's not an easy schedule. You've got LSU. You've got Georgia. You have to go to Texas A&M after Georgia. Um, I can see Florida going seven and five, eight and four. The one thing that I can see maybe getting to nine wins, I'm really bullish on Anthony Richardson. I think he is a very unique talent. Um, and if he has the kind of year that I think he's capable of having, he could kind of drag Florida and get them a win, um, you know, that, that I might not have penciled in as a win right now. But I think seven and five, eight and four would be uh, a successful year. If he goes, if, if Billy Napier and the Gators go seven and five, the fan base is going to need Florida to have a top ten recruiting class. I don't, I don't know how happy fans will be with uh, a class outside of the top ten and a seven and five record. Nick, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, brother. Are you going out to SEC Media Days? Yeah, I'll be there. All right, brother. Be safe out there as you make your way over to Atlanta, man. Have a good one, guys. Have a great weekend. All right, that was Nick Delator. Appreciate him joining the program. You can follow him on Twitter at Delator. That's D-E-L-A-T-O-R-R and just one E. We'll go ahead and take a quick timeout. When we come back, we're going to talk with Kef Chardello about what's going on with the Texas State Bobcats. He writes for the Austin American Statesman. So we'll get to him in just a moment. So keep it locked right here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Most sports talk shows turn it up to 10 on the amp, but Under the Dome is far from your ordinary sports talk show. It takes it just one step higher. These guys are laughing. Now back to the show that gets the lead out. Under the Dome with CD on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 104.1 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Speaking of those Astros, you have a chance to go see them live and in living color. All you got to do is join our clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com for a chance to win. It's free to enter. More importantly, it's free to join. And you'll have a chance to see one of the hottest teams in baseball in the Astros take on the other team that is one of the hottest in baseball in the Seattle Mariners, or as I'm calling them, the, the fighting hand of five names. Because they have been on an absolute tear as of late, mind you. They're playing the Texas Rangers today, so they probably are going to wind up making this an 11-game win streak. They're 10 straight wins, and they're exactly 10 games back of the Astros. I remember seeing last week and somebody was saying, hey, you know, don't look now. But I'm like, they were like 12 and a half games back. I'm like, come on now. There's still a lot of baseball left to be played. But 10 games back are the Mariners, and they're on a 10-game winning streak. Could be 11 after today when they take on those Texas Rangers. But that's that's today. We're talking about future talk on July 30th. You'll have a chance to score four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Park, and hotel accommodations for that Saturday night. Astros Weekend Getaways are powered, as always, by Butcher Air Conditioning, 
La Meridian Houston downtown, and the game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. And speaking of Texas, we're going to go a little bit further out than Houston for this conversation. We're going to go over to San Marcos, Texas. Talk to good friend Kef Chardello. He is the beat writer for Texas State as part of the Austin American Statesman. Kef, how you doing, brother? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic, my man. And, you know, obviously, kind of get things started first things first. Before we get into football, let's talk a, a second about the baseball season that was for Texas State because that was an amazing season. Came to a, a, a sudden end in the tournament, but getting to the tournament the way that y'all did and the season y'all had was nothing short of magical. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's unlike anything that has been seen here, and there's been some pretty good baseball teams here. I mean, you know, Paul Goldschmidt got his start here. Some other really good MLB players had some good teams going. But this season, I mean, for them to go toe-to-toe with Stanford and that regional beat them in a game, they lost those other two, but they really they, they hung in there in that regional and, and just um, – it was it was a pretty magical season for the Bobcats, and it all came to a, a, a good fruition when when Coach Trout got his contract extension because it was supposed to end on June 30th, and they kept him waiting till the very end, signing it after all that. But so I mean, there's a, a big commitment from from Coach Trout and a lot of the players who are coming back. You know, they they have their star players like Tristan Stivers was that closer. He threw that pretty famous horns down after beating UT during the regular season. Um, he's going to go pro, but but some of the other guys they're going to they're going to bring it back. So we'll we'll see how they do next year. Thank goodness Texas State isn't in the Big Twelve after you mentioned throwing down the horns down based off of what we heard from Big Twelve media days about how oh hey horns down don't do it. I'm like guys they're leaving the SEC. Why do you care? You know it, it's funny you mentioned that because there were rumors that Texas State was going to be thrown into the Austin region, you know, because of location and everything. It's really close yep. to, to San Marcos. Um, but they ended up going to Stanford. But if they had gone to the Austin regional, there was there was a uh, uh, a rule put in place where you cannot put a horns down in the, in the Austin regional because, you know, UT, that's their home. So they're real, they're real finicky about that one, even in baseball. <laughs> Yes, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly there. Let's go ahead and get over to the actual football. And I think, honestly, it's definitely an interesting team this year. The Cages will play them in the season finale. But we'll start off with the offensive side of the football. What kind of battle are we expecting to see at quarterback, or could this be you know, Lane Hatcher's job to lose at this point? Well, you know, in spring camp, it was a two-man battle between Lane Hatcher and Ty Evans. Ty Evans is a um, – he's a – transfer from North Carolina State. He played on the team last season, but he didn't actually throw a snap or throw a pass. He took a few snaps, but he didn't he didn't throw a pass last year. But they were going back and forth in the spring and Ty Evans was even getting some some first team reps. So I think it's real it is an open competition because Lane Hatcher is actually a, a, a walk on. Um, but that's by choice. He was a walk on at Arkansas State and even at Alabama. I guess his family can afford to pay for school, so they've told their the programs they go to that they can um, just hand the scholarship off to, to somebody else. So, I, I mean, it, it, I think it is an open competition. I mean, obviously, Hatcher had all that success at Arkansas State. Um, and played. He's got a lot of experience under his belt, way more than Ty Evans. 
way more than any of the other quarterbacks on the roster. I mean, there's Dylan Markowitz, who transferred in from Syracuse. They just got C.J. Rogers, who was a backup at Baylor coming in. Um, you know, guys who just haven't thrown very many passes. Um, so he, he definitely has the edge as far as that's concerned. Um, but but there's uh, the interesting thing about it is all the quarterbacks for Texas State have not thrown a pass for the Bobcats in a game yet. So I mean, it's the first time you could say that in a, in a long time with the, the quarterback play that they've had here. So it, it'll be interesting to see how that works out. They were talking in spring about having a wide receiver-friendly offense. You know, Jake Spavadol, the head coach, he's came in as this, uh, this air raid guru, but I haven't really seen much of it at Texas State. Seems like they're starting to promise that. You know, they still have uh, really good receivers in Marcel Barbie and Javin Banks, and then they bring in Demarcus Gregory, a transfer from South Florida. They bring in a whole bunch of other receivers. Uh, they got an Arizona receiver. A lot of transfers, a lot of transfers for this team on offense and defense, but specifically on the on the offensive end. And you talked about the fact that you got a lot of transfers over in the quarterback room, obviously. You brought up Lane Hatcher out of Arkansas State. You got the transfer out of and Ty Evans at NC State. But it's interesting, when you look up and down that roster, a lot of transfers, not just from group of five programs like Arkansas State, and you've also got teams like Oklahoma State, Texas, Iowa State, Texas Tech, the list goes on and on. It's wild to see how much in that locker room right now is a bunch of guys who are coming over from bigger programs and jumping over to the Texas State Bobcats, a team that, like, the last few years, they've fallen well short of some expectations. Yeah, it is. It's pretty interesting to, to look at the roster um, after two years of, of Spavadol doing this, of going really transfer heavy. And you look at there's always that little note, previous school at the end of the, the roster when you look at it online. And uh, most of the guys have a previous school. And they are, some of them are big, some are FCS, some are Duco. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of moving parts. And, and that kind of seems to not bode well when it comes to chemistry guys going in and out um, when you kind of have this transfer culture that's going on, but you do get guys who are experienced, who have played uh, for bigger programs or for a, a lot for a smaller program. So it, it, it's, it, it hasn't worked out yet. I mean, the Bobcats got to four wins last year, and that's not much, but it actually was an improvement from what, they've, what they did the previous five years. They hadn't gone over three wins in that amount of time, so it's been a pretty tough hoe for the Bobcats recently, but they've they've retained a lot of the players from last year, so they're starting to build a lot more. Like quarterback is definitely a new position, but there's a lot of returning guys like Kyle Hergel on the offensive line, Dalton Cooper as well there, Russell Baker. Uh, I mentioned Marcel Barbie and Javin Banks. You have your running backs, Jamel Jeter and Calvin Hill coming back. They really they didn't lose many in the transfer pool. They lost Zion Childress was the biggest one. He ended up going to Kentucky, and they lost Brady McBride, who started a lot of games at quarterback, but I think he saw the writing on was on the wall that he's not going to play at Texas State. So he's he's off to App State actually. So he stayed in the Sun Belt. Um, but uh, otherwise, it was not many guys lost in a, uh, not a not a lot of attrition through the transfer portal, but they did bring in a lot of guys. So. There's, there's the chemistry questions of a lot of new guys meshing with the old guys, but they, they have infused this roster with a lot of experience. What about the defensive side of the football? What's the most interesting battle that you're seeing heading into fall camp? 
Yeah, I would say corner or defensive line, but I'll start at corner just because they, they've been pretty set at corner with Jerron Morris and Cordell Rogers. Um, but but Jerron Morris has been pretty banged up. He actually missed all of last year, and uh, he, he was wearing a boot in spring camp. So they, they went out and they brought in some DBs who were running with the ones in spring that are two new guys, and it's Pierre Kamini, who uh, transferred in from Ohio. He's originally from Canada. And A.J. Edwards, who transferred in from Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College. So two, two new corners there. I mean, you know, Cordell's still getting in there. We'll see if Jerron can as well, but that's pretty interesting there. And defensive line, they're bringing in a bunch of new guys. Uh, with Savion Patton, he's off at, at camp with the Colts. You know, he was a senior, so he's done. That was their big stud on the defensive line. But, you know, they still have Nico Ezador. Um, they've moved Jordan Revels from defensive end outside linebacker, and he was probably their best pass rush. So going to see a lot of new guys get in there at the defensive line. They're bringing in transfers like Myron Warren out of Texas, um, Kawan Robinson out of, out of uh, Kentucky. Oh, I'm sorry, Memphis. So they're, they've, they've brought in six transfer defensive linemen, so that'll be a real interesting battle. Those are the two that... It, that I'm really keeping my eye on. But I'll say this, every position on the defense is wide open, especially with Childress leaving and going to Kentucky. He was he was the quarterback of the defense at safety. So um, it was uh, him leaving opens everything, linebacker, safeties. It's, a, it's kind of an open battle. And then, you know, they have not done well defensively under Zach Spavadol, which is Jake Spavadol's brother. He's the defensive coordinator. Um, they have not done well under Zach Spavadol so far. Got one more before I let you go, and I'm going Sunbelt wide here because obviously with the expansion and also realignment, how interesting is, do you think the West Division is going to be now that you have Southern Miss and also you add in the Troy Trojans alongside South Alabama? Because it looks like it's going to be a lot more of an interesting race to see who winds up coming out of the West for the championship game now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it, it, I think it all goes through the Raging Cajuns. I mean, they're, it's it's a pretty historic program. Um, but, yeah, I, I like I like the divisions. I like the way it shakes up. I think that even though Texas State might be kind of on an island in the Sun Belt, I like geographically the way it all lines up across the south and everything. Um, but, yeah, I think it's going to be – it's going to make for a real interesting battle, see some of these new teams. It's going to be good to get to know them all and everything. Thank you so much for coming on, Kef. Appreciate you, and I'll talk to you down the road, brother. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Hey, appreciate you. Back at you. All right, that was Kef Chardella. You can follow him on Twitter at Kef underscore C. And CD is about to go ahead and take one more timeout. Then we got one final take to head you into your weekend. So we'll be back after this on the game, 103.7 Lafayette and 104.1 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Before we close up shop here on Under the Dome, CD has just one more take to fire off before he drops the mic. Is it going to be a take that lands on the Scoville scale? Or is it going to be as cold as the pizza in your fridge? Let's listen in and find out. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD. One final take, and I want to go – I don't often reference shows that aren't mine, but I got to reference a national radio show, I should say. It's the Zach Gelb Show, which you hear on our fine station right after our guys, Miguez and Mesh, close up shop at 6. And Jake DeLone was on recently. I want to 
being able to hear some of this. And he said that Sam Darnold has the upper hand over Baker Mayfield. We're talking about a guy that was seeing ghosts. Ghosts over in New York. Z- uh, Sam Darnold. And again, Jake DeLome, great guy, nothing but respect for him. But I, I got to question that statement. And yes, I understand that Darnold's familiar with the teammates and everything and chemistry, all that stuff. And he's working with Ben McAdoo while Baker Mayfield's kind of jumping in late in the game. But I'd like to think Baker Mayfield has more of a shot and Darnold doesn't have the upper hand. Because if he had the upper hand, what's the damn point of trading for Baker Mayfield and basically getting him for a washing machine? That's basically what you got for Baker Mayfield. A guy, yes, is coming off a shoulder injury, but I think even then he'd probably be slightly better, slightly better than a healthy Sam Darnold who hasn't done squad douche, which, mind you, as a Saints fan, you love to see it. As a Saints fan, if Sam Darnold's a starting quarterback, give it to us for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We'll sweep their asses, and it makes the road to a playoff berth a little bit easier. That's why I think the Saints are. We talked about it months ago. I think the Saints can be a 12-5 and team based off of what the schedule looks like right now. I said it back in May. I still kind of stand by that take. And hopefully you do as well. Appreciate you listening in. We got to get out of here. And later on, Astros baseball. I believe Robert Ford, Steve Sparks, and the crew, they'll be on the call. You'll hear it all right here on the game. Because after all, we are your home for the Houston Astros and LSU Tigers. You've been listening to Under the Dome with with yours truly, the world-famous CD. So y'all take it easy. More importantly, enjoy the rest of your weekend. We'll be back. Same bat time, same bat channel. I'm going to go get me some grub for lunch and go enjoy myself you do the same back next week